You see, your life right now is setting a trajectory that will be amplified in either direction for eternity. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. My whole life is building toward a moment, and so is yours. Uh, my name's Luke. I get to serve here as one of the ministers at Plainfield Christian Church. And if we haven't gotten the chance to meet yet, we're really glad you're here. We love to gather together every single week as God's people and just get to know him more and discern what his call is on our lives more and more and tell him how awesome he is because we believe he deserves it. And wherever you are today on your faith journey, whether you are brand new and you're just checking this out and you've got questions or whether you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, we wanna come alongside you and walk with you. We're just all trying to be on this journey together or growing closer to him. And as part of that journey, for the last several weeks, we've been going through this sermon series together as a church called Still True, where we've been looking at these truths that are foundational for our lives as followers of Jesus, that even when everything in your life gets flipped upside down, when everything else changes, there are some bedrock foundational principles of life that'll never change. These really basic things that the kids learned this last week at camp and that we learned together today that we continue to build our lives upon truths like that that God is good and sin is bad and the Bible's true and heaven is forever and hell is for real. And today we're wrapping up that series by talking about this final truth that we're saying is still true, that Jesus is coming back. That Jesus is coming back because my whole life is building toward one moment. And so is yours. It's the moment that our king returns. And that's a simple truth, but it is an unchanging truth. And that simple truth that Jesus is coming back, that changes everything about how we live in the here and now. That changes how we think about money. That changes how we think about relationships. That changes how we think about our work. That changes how we think about our family. That changes how we think about time. That changes how we think about even how we measure things like greatness. Um, I don't know if you're a history buff or not, but you might recognize the name King Louis XIV. Uh, King Louis XIV was the longest reigning monarch in modern European history. He sat on the throne of France for 72 years. 72 years he was king. And, and Louis XIV, he became the king of France when he was just five years old. Can you imagine? You think you have seen tyrannical preschoolers before, right? Like, my house is run by a five-year-old. Can you imagine a country run by a five-year-old? It'd be, it'd be insane. But But as King Louis XIV, as he grew, they quickly discovered that he was actually quite capable. And as he grew into his role as king, eventually he kind of took control over every aspect of French life. He built many of the things that still stand in France today. In fact, when you think of French power, which I know might be a little bit of an oxymoron in your mind, but when you think of French power, most of the things that come into your mind, we got from King Louis XIV. He's the one who built uh, the Palace of Versailles. He's the one who turned France into kind of, in some ways, the world's center of style and art and culture. Uh, during his day, he built French's military into this mighty and terrifying force. He single-handedly willed the nation of France to become a superpower. He willed them to continental dominance. In fact, he was known as the Grand Monarch. He was called King Louis the Great. He was even known as the Sun King. And he was a miserable, arrogant, wretched person. In fact, one time when he was uh, confronted with an overreach of power, an overreach of his power over the French state, King Louis XIV responded by saying, I am the state. 
I am France. Can you imagine the audacity of this? And so as King Louis XIV approached the end of his life when he died, he had already made all the plans for his own funeral, where it would be, who would be there, what would be said to memorialize him. He'd, he'd been given orders that the funeral was to be in the great cathedral of Notre Dame that stands there in Paris, and the, th- the cathedral was to be very dimly lit, he said. And he wanted his casket to be overlaid with pure gold. And in fact, the whole cathedral was going to be lit by just one candle. He said, I want you to light one candle and set, set it right in front of my golden casket. So the light of that one candle will reflect off of that casket and illuminate the entire cathedral as an illustration of the glory of the life of King Louis XIV. And so that was the protocol for the funeral of this monarch who during his day was known as the greatest man on earth. But when he passed and the day of the funeral came and the bishop rose to speak, instead of going directly to the pulpit, the bishop slowly walked up to the casket and he snuffed out the candle and he said, only God is great. Only God is great. You see, King Louis XIV had forgotten that his life was building toward a moment when the true king would be revealed, that all of us are living toward this moment when our true king will return and true greatness is finally understood. Take a look in Revelation chapter four. We'll see what happens when people see the king of heaven. Uh, Revelation is this book written by uh, Jesus' best friend named John. He has this vision of heaven and he describes what it's like when people see the king. He says, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. You know, we've actually, we've talked a lot about heaven together this year. We've talked a lot about eternity and the Bible actually describes how even for those of us who follow Jesus and do go to heaven, there are varying degrees of reward in heaven that I I take Jesus pretty seriously when he says that we will be rewarded commensurately based on how we have used the things that he has entrusted to us in this life, how we've used our experiences, our talents, our skills, our ability, our time, our resources, our relationships, and our money. We're we're gonna get varying degrees of reward there and and that rubs a lot of people the wrong way when they hear about that. I think some people think that we should be like communists in heaven or something, you know, where we kind of all get the same thing. But, but I think part of the reason that this idea of varying levels of reward in heaven rubs us the wrong way is that it, it feels a little bit wrong that we would be like working to get a reward for ourselves. Like it feels a little bit selfish or something, but I actually, I don't feel that way at all. And here's why. Um, I, I'm actually, I, I want to get a reward in heaven. And the reason did I want to get a crown in heaven? And the reason that I'm okay if you want to get a crown in heaven, and I'm even okay if you get a lot bigger crown than I do in heaven, and, and, and I'm, I'm cool with that, and a lot of you will, but the reason I'm okay with that is because I know what happens to crowns in heaven. We just saw it, because my whole life is building toward this moment when the king returns. And when you come face to face with a king, you don't come to him negotiating. When you stand before a king, you don't come with your chest puffed out. When you come before a king, you don't show off your resume. When you come before a king, you don't brag about how big your crown is. When you come before a king, you get on your knees. And in the medieval days, when a knight would would, would come before a king, he would get on his knees And as a gesture of respect, he would hold out his sword to the king. 
hilt toward the king, blade toward you in this position of vulnerability and trust and complete surrender. And scripture says that on the day our king returns, every knee will bow. We saw what happened to crowns in heaven. The reason I'm okay with you chasing a crown and with me chasing a crown is that on the day our king returns, we will lay them at his feet. And my whole life is building toward that moment when our king returns and I fall on my knees and I lay my crown at his feet and my desperate hope and prayer is that in that moment I will hear his words, well done, good and faithful servant. And maybe, just maybe, heaven will pause and say, yes, that was a life worthy of the king. My whole life is building toward that moment and so is yours, the moment that our king returns. You know, as followers of Jesus, we come here every week to soak in the story of the gospel. If you're not familiar with that word gospel, it's a word that's worth getting familiar with. It's a a big Bible word, and it just means good news. And we are people of the gospel, which means that every week we tell this good news story of what Jesus has done, because it's the best news that the world has ever heard. We tell the story of how Jesus was fully God. And yet, as he was there in heaven, he looked down and he saw us ruining our lives in rebellion against his kingship. And instead of just leaving us on our own to destroy ourselves, he stepped down out of heaven and he came down to earth to live as one of us, fully God and fully human. And during his 33 years here on this planet, he walked the dusty roads of this earth and he lived a perfect life, the only person ever to do so. And he he healed people and and he taught us about what it meant to live for God and who God was. And even though he was perfect, he was killed for our rebellion against the king, for mine, for yours. But he didn't stay dead. He lay there in that tomb for three days, and on the third day, he rose back to life. And 40 days after that, he ascended to heaven where Jesus is right now, reigning as king over the universe. Scripture says he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's on his throne right now. But before he went back to heaven, he promised. He said, hey, I'm gonna come back. In the same way that you've seen me go, I will return. And so now our whole lives are building toward that moment when our king returns. And I'm not not just pulling this out of thin air today. This is one of the most common teachings in scripture. In fact, if I just read to you straight through all the passages in the Bible about Jesus's return, we would be here till after lunchtime, right? Let me just start with just one. Let me just read you just one. Revelation chapter 22, the very last chapter in the whole Bible, Jesus's friend John writes this. He says, the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. In other words, hey, John, this is still true no matter what happens. Take it to the bank, John. Chisel it in stone. This is unshakable reality. And what is the unshakable reality? Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. So later on in this chapter, the very last chapter in the Bible, and in fact, it's the second to last verse in the whole Bible, is this prayer that the followers of Jesus have prayed for centuries in light of Jesus' coming return, as they have longed for the moment of our King coming back. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. If you ask me what my goal for this morning is, I guess my hope today is that we would just become people who long for the return of King Jesus, that you and I would become people who pray day in and day out. Come, Lord Jesus. Would you just say that with me? Come, Lord Jesus. And our whole lives are building toward that moment when he does return. But here's the thing about that moment. Uh, None of us knows when it's gonna be. And, And scripture says that this will be a moment of surprise. 
A moment of surprise. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter five, this guy named Paul, he writes this. He says, now brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, a, a thief doesn't announce when he's gonna like rob your house, right? That kind of defeats the point. <laughs> it's like just your job to make sure that you're, you're ready if that moment ever arises. Imagine, uh, hypothetically with me, that uh, the king, or excuse me, I guess we don't have a king of England. Let's say the queen of England, okay? The queen of England is going to come to Hendricks County. Sometime over the next year, she's gonna visit Hendricks County and she has specifically requested to stay at your house when she does. Now, she's a busy lady, you know, running the country, the whole nine yards, and so she doesn't know exactly when she's gonna be able to work it into her schedule to come, but sometime over the next year, she's gonna show up in Hendricks County and she wants to stay at your house. Now, if that were true, wouldn't you like rearrange your year so that you could be ready for the queen's visit? Like, you'd make sure your house is ready, that you were gonna be in town, that things would be in order when she comes, right? And that's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. We're called to organize our lives under the reality that one day our king's gonna return and be with us. And yet, it's not that easy to do. Um, Most people aren't ready for that. There's an old philosopher by the name of Blaise Pascal who describes the lives of most people as if they were passengers in a stagecoach. He lived hundreds of years ago, but um, he says, "Imagine, imagine you've got this stagecoach and these people inside it. And the stagecoach is just hurtling toward a cliff. And, and, and it's gonna plummet off of the cliff and it's, it's gonna be destroyed. And this, this stagecoach is speeding out of control toward a cliff. And the passengers inside, they know they're headed toward a cliff. They can see what's ahead. They just, they can't jump out and they can't stop the stagecoach. So instead of spending their remaining moments contemplating their impending doom, the passengers on the stagecoach, they just decide to look out the window and enjoy the scenery instead. He said, and that's what people live like here. We all kind of intrinsically know that the world around us is fleeting, that our lives are building toward a moment, and yet most people choose to just kind of fritter away their days entertaining themselves instead. Uh, There's an author by the name of Lewis Smedes who writes about this. He uses the illustration of a calendar, specifically a date book. Some of you are old enough, you remember date books. Kids, you can ask your parents about it, all right? But, But here's what he says. He says, I bought a brand new date book yesterday, the kind I use every year, spiral brown, black imitation leather cover wrapped around pages and pages of blank boxes. Every square has a number to tell me which day of the month I'm in at the moment. Every square is a frame for one episode of my life. And before I'm through with the book, I will fill that square, I will fill all those squares with classes I teach and people with whom I ate lunch and everlasting committee meetings I sit through. And and these are only the things I cannot afford to forget. I also fill those squares with other things too things I don't need to write down to remember. I, I fill those squares with thousands of cups of coffee and some lovemaking and some praying and I hope some gestures of help to my neighbors. Whatever I do, he says, it has to fit inside one of those squares on my date book because I live one square at a time. The four lines that make up the box are the walls of time that organize my life. Each box, though, also has an invisible door that leads to the next square. As if by a silent stroke, the door pulls open and I am pulled through as if by a magnet sucked into the next square in line. And there, I will again fill the time frame that seals me in. I'll fill that square with busyness just as I did the square before. As I get older, though, the squares seem to get smaller. (laughs) 
And one day, I will walk into a square that has no door. There will be no mysterious opening and no walking into an adjoining square. One of those squares will be terminal. I don't know which square it will be. You see, we're all square fillers. Most of us have a sense that our squares are too chaotic, too stuffed with too much activity, but that we'll get around to what matters most one day when things settle down. He goes on to say, I was a part of a survey that asked thousands of people what kept them from knowing and loving God better, and the number one answer was, I'm too busy. And I think that confirms what we feel. It certainly confirms what I feel and what I see in my own life and in the lives of people around me. I see some people who are kept from living for God the way they know they should by their guilt, by their shame, by their sin, by their hard-heartedness. I, I do see some of that, but far more often, I see people who are kept from living for God the way they want to because they're just too busy. We spend our lives filling our boxes, enjoying the scenery while this stagecoach is headed for a cliff. And church, I'm not, I'm not trying to just be rude today. This is a tough truth, but it's a truth that I would be doing pastoral malpractice if I did not warn us of, because this might be the greatest spiritual cancer in Hendricks County, that we fill our lives with work and with play and with family and with hobbies and everybody's life in full. Life is so full that life with God just gets pushed to the margins. I'll get there when I get time, and most of the time we never really get time, and man, I shudder to think what the king will say when he returns. Now listen, that's not to say that work and play and family and hobbies are bad, they're good. They're good and they are beautiful when done with and for and in and through Jesus. But for those who have filled their boxes to the brim and have pushed any allegiance to Jesus outside of their calendars and outside of their finances and outside of their relationships and outside of their mental space as they go throughout their day, for those who have filled their boxes so full that there is no room for him, then the moment that the king returns will not only be a moment of surprise, it'll also be a moment of separation. And that's a tough truth, but it is true. Scripture says that on the day Jesus returns, there will be some who mourn. When Jesus returns, you know, um, there's gonna be several things that happen. One of the very first things that happens when Jesus comes back is that there's going to be a resurrection, that everybody who has ever lived is gonna rise and is gonna come before King Jesus. Jesus himself says it like this in John chapter five. He says, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done what is good will rise to live, and those who've done what is evil will rise to be condemned. And, and Jesus goes on to kind of illustrate what that's gonna be like by telling some stories that he says, hey, when I come back, it's going to be like a, a rancher who separates the, the sheep from the goats. When I come back, it's going to be like a farmer at the harvest time who separates the wheat from the weeds. That when Jesus returns, for some, it will be a moment of separation. Because on the day the king returns, you and I are going to face a final evaluation of how we have used the things that Jesus has entrusted to us. We're going to face a final evaluation of whether or not we have wasted our lives. And the king will reveal his greatness in us, either way. Either Jesus will reveal his greatness in us by exercising his right judgment and his justice upon us for rebelling against him and failing to trust him, or he will display his greatness through us by showing us his great mercy and his great grace because we did indeed live lives that were surrendered to him. Jesus will be glorified, scripture says. Every knee will bow. 
And the irony is, my, my dad mentioned this last week, that the irony is, on the day Jesus returns, everybody is going to get what they have asked for. Everybody will get what they have wanted. That those who have loved him will get to be with him. And those who've wanted nothing to do with him will get nothing to do with him. Those who have wanted in this life to follow God, to enjoy God, to be with God, they will get to be in his presence forever. And those who in this life have wanted separation from God and independence from God will have that forever. You see, your life right now is setting a trajectory that will be amplified in either direction for eternity. And for any who have not kneeled in this life to the king, that moment will be a moment of separation. But for you, my hope is that your story is that you have already kneeled and surrendered to Jesus. And if not, my hope is that you will. Because for those of us who do, that moment, it will be a moment of surprise, but it won't be a moment of separation. It will be a moment of glory. You know, when I was a, I was a kid, I grew up in church, and so I, I heard this prayer growing up, come Lord Jesus, and I heard that prayer, and I thought, yeah, sure, fine, that'll be good, but man, I'm not quite ready yet, you know? Like, yeah, sure, come Lord Jesus, but, but just not yet, you know, because there's trails I haven't explored on my bike, and there's mountains I haven't hiked, and there's, there's adventures I haven't gone on yet, and there's, there's movies I haven't watched, there's all kinds of flavors of ice cream that I haven't tasted yet, come Lord Jesus, but just not yet, right, because as a kid, like, I, I still want to get married, and I want to have kids, and I want to go see the world, come Lord Jesus, but just not yet. I wanted to squeeze this life of, and, and wring it dry of every little drop of joy that it had. And then, sure, fine, then Jesus can come back. But I've lived a little bit longer now. Not that much, but a little bit, right? Um, and you know this. The longer you live, the more pain you see. Where you see families with these generational cycles of relational dysfunction and substance abuse and financial brokenness. And you see children who are just crushed under the burden of pressure from their peers, even pressure from their parents, and you see marriages that start out warm and in love and serving one another. Something happens, though, and they grow distant and cold. You see cancer, you see war, you see systems that trap people in abuse, you see hatred, you see division. And, and the more hospitals you visit, and the more funerals you attend, and the more fatherless children you see, the more I do believe there's something deep down inside the human soul that is begging to cry out, come Lord Jesus, would you just come make it right? And the good news is when he does, that moment will be a moment of glory where every wrong is made right. It will be a moment of glory. Paul says in Titus chapter two that as followers of Jesus, we wait for the blessed hope. What is our blessed hope during the pain of this life? And Paul says our blessed hope is the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you just imagine with me what that's gonna be like when he comes back? Revelation chapter one, John says, look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. I have friends who are blind. Just imagine. The first thing they're ever gonna see is Jesus coming on the clouds. Paul describes it like this in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. He says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Just imagine. The first thing that the deaf will ever hear 
is the voice of Jesus and the trumpet call of God. Just imagine that the friends and family that you have who followed Jesus, all the ones that we have ever loved and lost, on that day they will hear the trumpet blast pierce the air and they will rise again. Oh, come Lord Jesus. My whole life is building toward that moment. And so is yours. Um, this picture here is of the, the Mamertine prison in Rome. And, and we actually know, almost beyond the shadow of a doubt, that this is the very cell where the Apostle Paul was kept during his second imprisonment in Rome when he was awaiting his own execution. This is likely the very room where Paul wrote the book of Second Timothy that we have in our Bibles. When I was in Rome earlier this spring, I got to go down into this room. It was absolutely incredible. And then after we left that prison cell, we went to the outside of the city, to this place here called Trefantes. And, and this is the traditional site where some scholars think that the Apostle Paul was executed and beheaded by the Roman government. And, and these stones there, right there on that path, those stones date back to the first century. There is a chance that that is the very path where Paul took his last steps on the earth. In that moment, as Paul is heading toward his execution, knowing that the end is near, face to face with his own death, what do you think was on his mind? What was he clinging to? What was still true even then? And I wonder if his mind went back to those words that he wrote in that prison cell just a few days earlier to his friend Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter four, where Paul said, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Church, may we long together for his appearing, our whole lives building toward that moment when our king returns and we lay our crowns at his feet in gratitude. Come, Lord Jesus. Um, throughout the remainder of the service here in a few minutes the prayer team is going to be gathering around the perimeters of the room there'll be the people there with the green lanyards on and, and just the reality is that there are some of you in the room this morning who are not ready for that moment and I want you to be I want to be there with you I want you to be with him your life is building toward that moment, whether you know it or not. And man, if you need to get ready to meet Jesus, if you need to surrender to your king, there's no better day than to do it than, than, than right now. We'd love to talk with you. You can go talk to any of those people throughout the remainder of the service or after the service. We'd love to walk with you to encounter the grace of Jesus. But even if you are ready for that moment, um, one of the things I know is that there's a broken heart beating inside every chest in this room right now. And that you've got a hard road to fight and you have difficulties in your life, you have, you have people that you're hurting for, you have issues that you're facing, whatever that is, even if it doesn't feel crazy dramatic, that's okay. We wanna come alongside you as a church. We wanna just approach you as a friend, a brother and sister in Christ, and speak God's hope into your life and see whatever we can do to help you and pray for you. And I'd encourage you to go talk to the prayer team as well because we'd love to walk with you as your church family. Uh, I hope you received the communion elements when you walked into the room this morning. If you did, would you mind taking those out? We receive this thing together every week as the followers of Jesus had, have every single week since Jesus died and rose again. And every week we receive this little piece of bread which reminds us of Jesus' body that was nailed to the cross so that we could approach that day with hope. And we receive this little bit of juice 
which reminds us that the blood of Jesus through his sacrifice for us is what washes us clean. No matter what you've done, you can be washed clean, you can be forgiven, you can encounter the grace of God. No matter what you did or how often you did it, how recent you did it, when you did it, no matter what was done to you, Jesus' blood can wash you clean. This is what we remind ourselves day in and day out. But um, we're not gonna take this thing forever. We do this every week, but scripture says that as we take communion, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So even in this moment, let's thank God for his grace shown to us on the cross, and let's ask him to return soon. I'll give you a few moments to take the bread on your own, then I'll pray and we'll receive the cup together. Oh God, truly, only you are great. And yet you saw us in our deepest, darkest moments. You know that the most shameful secret of every person in this room. You know the moments we regret. You know every stupid thing we've ever done and every dumb thing we're gonna do, Lord. <laughs> and yet you came, the King of Heaven, wearing a crown of thorns so that we could be washed clean, so that we could be with you on that day that you returned. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For my brothers and sisters in this room, God, my prayer is that you would fill our hearts with the hope of your return, the hope that only you can give when your perfect justice and your perfect mercy will be finally established on the earth. And so we say together as the people of God, come, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. This is the blood of Christ. Let's stand now and worship our King together. Oh, 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 oh,